Hey, what is up, everybody? Alex Kapitko here, and guess what? It's the Centered from Reality podcast. Today is Wednesday, Wednesday, January 11th. And, you know, it was about 50 degrees again today, which is very mind-blowing to me because if you look at other parts of the country right now, like the West Coast, my home area, things are not quite as nice right now. And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later and the ramifications for California. But first, I... I have to say, while I was getting ready to record this, I was listening to a podcast, and it was it was the Bulwark podcast, and someone brought up a really interesting point. They're like, ever since Trump started running for president or, or announced that he was running this time, he's really barely left Mar-a-Lago, and, he's, and if he's left Mar-a-Lago, he hasn't really left Florida. And that's kind of interesting, because people thought this would be like a revenge tour of some form, but in reality, the person on the show says this seems more like a revenge residence. Like Trump is just kind of bored and going through the motions, but it's getting more and more confusing why he's even running. And then you have to wonder, like, he's done a few virtual rallies. He's done a few rallies in Florida. He's gone to Miami to go to his golf club there, but he really hasn't left. So is he like under or like, like I don't know, is, can he legally not leave Florida or something? Like, it just brings up some questions. It's like, if this dude's running, like, what the hell is he doing? So... Then, then you see Matt Schlapp, who has a, <laughs> a little sex scandal going on. He is, what, the president of CPAC, I want to say, whatever the leader for CPAC is called. And uh, he was down in Mar-a-Lago, I think, yesterday. So Trump really has some, like, C and D-list characters down there with him. But he just seems like this guy who's afraid of falling into obscurity. So he's just, like, trying to stay relevant. And it's very entertaining to see, but... I just wanted to say that. I thought it was a great line when the person on the podcast said, it's not a revenge tour, it's a revenge residence, and he's just staying in Mar-a-Lago. So should be interesting. But anyways, I want to move on. I want to start with just a great clip. And it's from the NASA County GOP. That's NASA County in New York. That's where our friend Robert Santos ran from. You know, the guy who's the most shameless person I've ever seen. Well, NASA County has finally put out some... Well, they held a press conference and have blatantly called for Santos to resign. So I want to play that because in this weird political era where the GOP just keeps putting out atrocious candidates, you're actually seeing a GOP county committee call for accountability. And it's kind of refreshing, I got to say. George Santos's campaign last year was a campaign of deceit, lies, and fabrication. He deceived the voters of the 3rd Congressional District. He deceived the members of the Nassau County Republican Committee, elected officials, his colleagues, candidates, his opponents, and even some of the media. His lies were not mere fibs. He disgraced the House of Representatives, and in particular, his fabrications went too far. Many groups were hurt, specifically I look at those families that were touched by the horrors of the Holocaust and feel for them. He has no place in the Nassau County Republican Committee, nor should he serve in public service, nor as an elected official. He's not welcome here at Republican headquarters for meetings or at any of our events. As I said, he's disgraced the House of Representatives, and we do not consider him one of our Congress people. Today, on behalf of the Nassau County Republican Committee, I am calling for his immediate resignation. Now, I, I love how direct that clip was. And that, that actually goes on for like another 10 minutes, I believe, or even maybe even a little bit longer. 
I was sitting in a bagel shop watching it earlier. And, <laughs> I mean, it's like each member of the committee or on the board just pretty much roasts Santos. And it's just amazing. It's amazing to listen to. So I, I encourage people to check it out. But, of course, this is not going to surprise anyone. He got stormed with cameras after this news calling for him to resign came out. And he is refusing to resign. I mean, of course, of course, this guy wouldn't resign. Now, I got to give this guy props because I think a lot of weaker people would probably resign at this point. But this guy, I mean, God, he's just going for it, man. He's just he's just nonstop going for it. He just does not give an F. And unfortunately, though, CNN does note here in quotes, a source close to House GOP leadership said the calls from the county GOP will have no bearing on their decision regarding Santos's political future. And so, again, uh, this is why I think I'm a states and county guy over a federal guy, because Nassau County is actually doing the right thing. They're calling for his resignation. But, of course, Kevin McCarthy and all these goons need Santos's vote, right? Like, they need him, especially with how tight things are for McCarthy right now. So, of course, he's not going to resign. And... Of course, McCarthy is not going to call him out. Now, I don't think I mentioned this, but a few weeks ago, McCarthy was, was talking about how diverse the new house is, like the new members of the house are. And he talked about having a few Jewish members. And he actually mentioned Santos as part of that group. And this is after the revelations came out. So clearly McCarthy does not give a shit. Excuse my language. But clearly he does not care whatsoever if Santos stays in. And... I just, <laughs> I just don't even know what to expect anymore here. And, I mean, I should add on a lighter note, apparently today we also learned that Santos has said he was a volleyball champion and a volleyball star. I'm sure they're digging into that as we speak, and I'm sure it's going to be a lie, but maybe that's real. Maybe he is a volleyball star. I mean, at this point, I'm almost like hoping something's true about him just because this guy needs something authentic. But who knows? We will probably never know what this guy is. Like, I was telling one of my buddies last week, I mean, maybe maybe Santos is just like Doctor Who or some extraterrestrial trying to be a human at this point because it's all just wacky. Anyways, um, we also have some new revelations of why his campaign is being investigated. Now, I should note he's being investigated for ethics and financial violations, not for lying, of course, because it doesn't really matter if you lie anymore in politics, Right. And again, I've said this before, Santos is just the culmination, I think, of a decade of lies. And so, of course, no one's actually holding him accountable for that. But there are things that he might get in trouble for. And I think Tom Nichols sums it up best in The Atlantic. He writes in an article, I believe it was from yesterday. He says here in quotes, even one of Santos's campaign fundraisers tried to be the man of mystery himself. One of his campaign fundraisers fundraisers, sorry, reportedly presented themselves to GOP donors as Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff. This might even be a crime, which is probably why Santos, his lawyers, and everyone else have dummied up and refused to answer any more questions about it. Yeah, because, I mean, that that's great. They're going around telling donors <laughs> he's Kevin McCarthy's chief of staff. I mean, it, I, I think the other, like, surprising thing here is, well, that's very bold, but also, like, Santos doesn't seem to be a good liar. Like, if, you, if you're going to do this many lies, you should at least like try to be a little more effective at it, bro. But that's where we're at. So anyways, the Santos saga continues. It's not stopping. This guy's pathetic. And he's in the house. He is there now. He is making policy. And I bet the people like Glenn Greenwald who said, oh, we have a gay Brazilian in there. Look at the GOP. 
I bet they're sure wishing they could take back those words now because this guy is not someone you want to be uh, cheerleading for, at least. Moving on, uh, the airline industry is back in the news again. I, I'm kind of becoming your travel agent slash like flight tracker here on the Centered from Reality podcast. And I wanted to kind of get into this episode by saying that this morning when I was prepping for this, I read an interesting article in The Economist that just highlights how much of a disaster the airline industry is. This time, it's not the actual private companies, though. It's the FAA itself. And I, was, I guess I would just start by saying that I was hoping after everything that happened with Southwest over the holidays that maybe we could have a month with travel being normal. But that is not looking like it's the case. I'll talk about this more in a moment, but apparently American Airlines is actually having a worse day than Southwest. That was not on my bingo card Definitely not on my bingo card, but you know your day's going bad when you're a more expensive airline that is doing worse than Southwest, so would not want to be American Airlines today. But anyways, the Economist article writes here in quotes, domestic flights are, gra- are gradually resuming in America hours after the Federal Aviation Administration canceled departures due to a fault in its computer systems. The article later says, apparently in quotes, the FAA said that its notice to air mission system which alerts pilots to potential hazards, had failed. The agency suggested it was still looking into the cause of the problem. Now, as someone who flies a lot, I do spend a lot of time flying per year, less so than maybe a couple of years ago pre-COVID, but still I fly a lot. And I do want that notice to air mission system to work. I do like my pilots to be aware of any problems that could be happening. So it's probably good that they suspended flights for a little bit while they were dealing with this. But just brings up so many bigger questions about like, what the hell is the FAA's problem? So to go into more detail, CNN writes in quotes here, following a failure of the FAA's notice to air missions or NOTAM system, more than 6,700 flights within, into, or from the U.S. have been delayed as of Wednesday with more than a thousand cancellations. And, and that's according to the flight tracking site, Flight Aware. And from my understanding, what this system mainly does, and believe me, I'm not, a, not an airline expert, so correct me if I'm wrong, but, but from what I understand is this provides pilots with notices they need before flying, right? And so it keeps them up to date on maybe the dynamics of the plane, any issues that might be occurring, any problems in different places, etc. So it's something you want up and running and in an effective manner, right? And at the time of this recording, I was checking flights at Chicago's airport O'Hare, checking flights in Reno, where I live close to, checking flights in Denver, one of the airports I frequent, and it does look like most flights are up and running again. There are some cancellations still. Now, ironically, Southwest still has a shit ton of cancellations. I don't think that's actually because of what's happening here. That's just Southwest. But anyways, uh, it does look like things are coming back online. But I find it just concerning that this can just happen like that, and it probably says we need some change, but... um. Like, for example, though, because I I said I'd mention this, so Southwest did better than usual with the chaos because actually only 9% of its flights were canceled, which is, you know, about 1 in 10, which is really good for Southwest. We got to applaud them here. But on the other hand, American Airlines has really been hit. Um, American said it's canceled about 400 flights as of midday Wednesday, so that could be more. I think think it depends on the airports here, at least from my understanding— and Southwest has a lot, I mean, not, not Southwest, American has a lot of regional connector flights, so that might be why more of theirs were canceled, from my understanding. I don't think it's particularly American Airlines' fault. I think they just have a lot of these connector flights. So 
interesting stuff. And I'll also note before we move on, we can't go a week without something. And this one's different, like I said. It's not the airline's fault. It's kind of a massive issue inside of the FAA. But it, it, it brings up a lot of questions about our travel infrastructure and our travel like regulations in the United States, in my opinion. And of course, Pete Buttigieg has been under even more scrutiny today. And he is doing his rounds on TV. He is good at doing that. Now, I've heard people like David Pakman say that he would be a good president down the road. Just because you're good at interviews and getting out of a situation does not mean you'd be a good president. I still have not seen anything that makes Pete Buttigieg seem like he would be a good president for me. He's really struggling with the FAA stuff and just the transportation department in general. And so I don't know if his track record from this gives me much hope that he would be good on an even larger scale. But anyways, this morning he told CNN in quotes, there's been, there's been no direct evidence or indication of that, but we are looking into this being a potential cyber threat. We are not going to rule it out until we have a clear and better understanding of what's taken place. Sorry, I think I wrote some of those notes wrong. But basically, there are some people that think this could have been a cyber attack. He's saying there's no evidence of it, but they're not ruling it out. Not really reassuring, but hey, you know, what can you do? And even if this was not a cyber attack, which it seems like it wasn't, down the road that could happen, and that would really cripple our airline infrastructure. And because of that, there's really con serious concerns, in my opinion, about the FAA's technology, as well as the need for reform. There's a representative, Rick Larson, who is the top Democrat on the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. And he told CNN's Caitlin Collins on Wednesday that the failure of the FAA's notice-to-air mission system, in quotes, begs the, begs the question about the current state of the technology infrastructure at the FAA. And going further, I even have to agree with our buddy Ted Cruz for once, which is very rare of me. He said in a statement, and it's kind of long, but I think it's actually true, which reminds me that Ted Cruz sometimes can be right, like a broken, a broken clock is correct once in a while, right? Um, he he uh, put out a statement saying, in quotes here, the flying public deserves safety in the sky. The FAA's inability to keep an important safety system up and running is completely unacceptable and just the latest example of dysfunction within the Department of Transportation. The administration needs to explain to Congress what happened and Congress should enact reforms in this year's FAA reauthorization legislation. This incident also highlights why the public needs a competent, proven leader with substantive aviation experience leading the FAA. Now, look, I agree with what he said there. I do. Now, the thing is, is that well, the Congress that Ted Cruz is definitely an ally of is going to obstruct everything. So I don't see Congress actually enacting reforms for this reauthorization legislation because basically the setup right now is that compromise is not going to happen. Also, Ted Cruz may say that we need to reform and make a safe system, but also a lot of these Republicans are into defunding our federal organizations and their anti-regulation. And they're very against intervention. And what they're calling for is more intervention. So they're not going to do that either. It's hypocritical. This is an attack on Biden and Buttigieg. And I think both of them have some blame to take here. But at the same time, like these Republicans are just virtue signaling. And I, I do agree that there's dysfunction. And I do, I do deserve their safety. But I don't think people like Ted Cruz have ever actually supported any reforms that would work. So... 
Ultimately, the United States does need a resilient transportation system, transportation network. And right now, it could become a national security issue if we have issues like this constantly happening. So it is concerning. I'm glad they got it resolved. But how many more issues are we going to have before maybe Congress actually does sit down and look at some reforms instead of just going on talk shows and talking about it? Talking about another issue, I guess you could say, that is crippling our country right now. It's the weather in California. And I usually kind of stray away from focusing on kind of regional events like this. Usually I like to kind of focus on national trends or geopolitical trends or whatnot. But today I'm going to be your local meteorologist, uh, or I guess your state meteorologist for California. Um, You know, if Fox News can have political meteorologists talking about how climate change is fake... Well, then I'll be your podcast meteorologist telling you why I'm a little bit concerned about the climate change issues in California. Um, I just had to start by discussing, though, how crazy the weather's been in the West Coast. Uh, I've been kind of lucky, actually, so far. The weather was bad in Chicago when I was in the West Coast, and it was good. And then I come to Chicago, and the weather's now bad in the West Coast. So hopefully my luck doesn't run out, but... I am kind of glad I'm not there right now. Now, I am jealous of the amount of powder that the Tahoe area is getting. Looks like the skiing is going to be great, but they're getting a mix of rain and snow that seems to come and go with the days, so it seems like kind of a driving nightmare. So I do have to be in Tahoe in like two weeks for a meeting, so that could be canceled if the weather keeps up. We'll have to see, but I was telling my buddy last night that it seems like California is just kind of becoming the poster child of feast or famine, of brutal climate extremes and just lack of stability because you know we've seen droughts extreme droughts and then we've seen this where and and just so people know uh if you ever hear someone say oh but they're getting a lot of rain it's good it's not good when you have dry hillsides drought stricken areas fire burned hills where the dirt is loose and soot filled to then just get poured on with rain all it does is cause dangerous flash floods sinkholes, everything else. So if anyone says, oh, look, they're getting rain, it's all good. Not when you get a shit ton of rain after all these dry fires and just dry conditions for almost a decade now. So anyways, The Atlantic has a good article on this issue. It writes here in quotes, after years of a virtually unremitting drought, the state is now suddenly, tragically swamped with an overabundance of water. Over the last couple of weeks, a series of intense storms has caused massive widespread flooding. On Sunday evening, the president declared a state of emergency, and by the next day, more than 90% of the state's residents were under flood watch. That's, that's insane. It's a big state. Anyways, the article continues. At the time, at least 17 people have died. That number is likely to rise and likely has risen, and tens of thousands more have been forced to evacuate. And the problem here is that, well, first off, it's really hard to create public policy, for dealing with disasters when you have kind of such a myriad of different disasters that kind of switch, like, you know, switch on the pendulum from dry to soaking wet. But the problem is also that because they've become, these storms have become so frequent over the last month, and a lot of the cities can't even store the water, California is not really dealing with the drought very well. And also the destruction is making things expensive. I've seen estimates so far that believe the damage could be close to about a billion dollars. And it just seems like water is actually, this type of water is not what California needs, right? I read a piece out of Northwestern University that helps explain why things are worse right now. 
apparently in California and and I, th- I think a lot of the West Coast, it, it's kind of a Pacific phenomenon, is that a lot of the West Coast depends on these atmospheric rivers to bring water. These, from the article I read from Northwestern, are long, thin channels of water vapor that come off the Pacific, and they're, they kind of look like a river in the sky, and they're funneled from the Pacific Ocean and go over the state, especially in California, and they usually help replenish reservoirs and lakes before the summer months. So, you know, you get maybe two or three of these storms every winter, and the Sierras get a shit ton of snow, hopefully, and the other areas kind of survive off of it. But Daniel Horton, who's a climate scientist at Northwestern, has said that these rivers often supply more than 50% of the state's annual water. But according to him, right now, California is seeing too much of a good thing. He's basically saying that we've had too many of these in the last month, and the state was not really designed, the infrastructure, all of it was just not designed to deal with this. And according to Horton, no, sorry, according to the Pacific Institute, which is in California, it's unusual to see the persistence and the intensity of the storms we're seeing now. And I mean, it's just, I mean, the elephant in the room, I think here is that it truly seems like climate change has made this issue much worse, much, much worse. Because this, like, when you get a couple of these storms a year, there's ways to manage it. You'd also don't see widespread destruction and damage that you have to pay for, and you get the water you need. Now, with my public policy background, I've alluded to this already, but I'll explain a little bit more, is that it's really hard to create proper policies to deal with all of this because every year it seems like <laughs> it's hard to justify a budget or a plan because one year you have forest fires and that takes a lot of focus. And then the next year, now you have flooding in the winter, which takes a whole other focus. So there can't be just a single basically window of opportunity for policymakers to actually get behind closed doors and figure out how to do this. Instead of having this like fixating moment, they have to kind of just keep bouncing back and forth on the pendulum and figure out, do we put more funding into flood problems in the winter or do we put more money into fire prevention in the summer? And of course, both should be done, but it's not as easy as that. And I think there's a great line in an Atlantic article that sums this up very well. The article writes here in quotes, this past fire season was blissfully quiet, but against that background, California's current plight can feel in more than one way like a very dark punchline to a not very funny joke. What do you get after a summer of respite from deadly fires? A winter of catastrophic flooding. And what do you get after years of desperation for water? So much rain that you'll pray it will stop. And, you know, that's really difficult when you now have to create public policies to make the state better when you don't really know what to expect. Like, yes, we're in a La Nina cycle in California and in the West Coast right now, which means you can somewhat expect more water. But in the past, we haven't. And then we get awful fires. And so now do we get more fires going forward? Now do we not? Do we have a little bit of a ebb in the flow of fires? I don't know. And I don't pretend to know. But California is going to be in a tough scenario with all these weather crises. And for as beautiful of a state it is, this is really, really difficult. So as cliche as it is, uh, my thoughts and prayers are with the people in California right now, in places that are being hit with the weather. This just seems like, uh, how do I say this? It just seems like all these weather patterns, all this extreme weather is just slowly impacting more and more of northern places. 
like we were seeing these same type of, type of trends, you know, in kind of equatorial areas a decade ago. And now we're seeing them in places like the United States and Germany. So, yeah, not, not good to see. So moving on, I want, to, <laughs> I want to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene going to rehab. And by rehab, I mean kind of a virtue rehab, kind of a PR rehab, not actual rehab. So I will make that clear off the bat. But what I mean here is that, well, well, actually, okay, let me go back a little bit, is I, I want to talk about Marjorie Taylor Greene, and then I also just want to touch on her beef with Lauren Boebert, or Bobert, and then discuss like why this illustrates a rift growing in the GOP. So first, it's quite fascinating in the world right now, especially in the GOP world, because it looks like Marjorie Taylor Greene has gone to rehab, and she's trying to get rid of her image as a QAnon nut who doesn't believe in the Holocaust, meets with white supremacists, victim shames school shooting victims, and uh, believes in Jewish space lasers. So she's going away from that, and she's trying to rehabilitate her career and come out as a normie Republican. And it's kind of working. <laughs> like, I, I hate to say that, but it's kind of working. And I will always remember the things she said, because it's hard to forget the things she said. But she has allied with moderates, and it seems to me that she is making calculations that are going to help her stick around in politics for a very long time. Last month, I did that episode on her background, right? How she lived in the suburbs of Atlanta, upper middle class family, even maybe rich family, went to college, always was kind of a searcher, always was looking for something else, right? Gets into her dad's real estate or her, her dad's construction business, then gets into CrossFit. That kind of becomes her religion. Then she gets into the Protestant church. Then she eventually gets into QAnon and kind of dislikes the Democrats and then eventually runs. And then she ends up running in a different county because she was too crazy for Atlanta. And what this all kind of tells me here is that even though she's a searcher, I think she's willing to change. And Yes, she went down a rabbit hole, but it also sounds like she is willing to come out of that rabbit hole and does not want to be held accountable for it. And it reminds me that I think she's more calculated than people think. Like, yes, she believes in the MAGA craziness, but I think she does seem to understand that Trump has an expiration date and what he's doing right now belongs on a Vegas show. Like, there's kind of an emptiness to Trump now that seems like it should be in Vegas. And I think she gets that. And she would rather use MAGA policies and be kind of quiet MAGA while working with Kevin McCarthy. And I think for that reason, and this is not me saying I like Marjorie Taylor Greene, but I think she's smarter than Matt Gates. I almost said Matt Boebert. Uh, but hey, that, maybe that's their couple name, Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert. She, Marjorie Taylor Greene's smarter than them. She believes a lot of the things they do, but she also understands that you don't want to take a wrecking ball and obstruct everything. And I think because of that, she's going to get much further. So anyways, uh, Mona Sharon has a great article in The Bulwark, and it really sums up these changes. And I recommend everyone to subscribe to The Bulwark. Great publication, great podcasts. Um, but anyways, Mona Sharon has an article. It's called The Normalization of Marjorie Taylor Greene. 
And it just discusses how she has gone from kind of a blight on the Republican Party, but now she's one of its prominent members. And the article, of course, has an image of McCarthy posing in a selfie with MTG, Marjorie Taylor Greene, which I'm going to call her MTG. And he's posing in this selfie with her after becoming speaker. And the first thing he did was take a selfie with her. And I think that really sums up everything, like literally everything we need to know about where the party's at right now, because he knows her sway and her importance. And it also, though, shows to me that she really enjoys being part of the establishment, right? Or the quote-unquote establishment. Like, of course, the Mitt Romneys and the Kinzingers and the Liz Cheneys are the people I would call the actual GOP establishment. But you kind of have this new, like, MAGA establishment, and then you have the bomb throwers or the anarchists. It's getting very complicated. Like, I'm starting to have to take notes, to be completely honest, just to understand the different factions here. But anyways, that photo's important because it looks like she likes being on the McCarthy side now. And anyways, in the article, Mona Sharon discusses how Fox News has actually really tried to sterilize her in a lot of ways. There was an interview, let me look up the date. It was on Sunday's show, and Kurtz, who, I'm pulling up the video now. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Howard Kurtz does a show called Tight Shot, and he brought on Marjorie Taylor Greene. And Kurtz was really giving her softballs. And Mona Charon discusses how Basically, Fox News is trying to sterilize her because she was just super crucial in helping McCarthy become the speaker. And Mona Sharon warns us in the article that we need to remember that this gal has flexible views and they could always come back to haunt us. And she then takes us down memory lane to remember how much has changed. Sharon writes in the article, Things move fast, so cast your minds back only to 2021, when Mitch McConnell described Green as a cancer on the Republican Party, and John Thune warned that the party had to draw some lines. She then writes, They have to decide who they want to be. Do they want to be the party of limited government and fiscal responsibility, free markets, peace through strength, and pro-life? Or do they want to be the party of conspiracy theories and QAnon? And... It seems like Marjorie Taylor Greene kind of wants both. Now, I will say this, and I don't even know if I should say this, but hey, it's my podcast, and I guess I will. People do change. And my theory on this is that Marjorie Taylor Greene is just gullible. And because she's a searcher, and she's always been looking for meaning, I think that makes her someone who has flexible views. And I truly actually do think that she doesn't believe the QAnon stuff anymore. And maybe I'm naive, and you can tell me that, but I do believe that because she's gullible, searching, and naive, she was willing to kind of believe this stuff. But I think as she's been exposed to Congress, maybe things have changed. And while that is being said, the flexibility also doesn't make me feel good, because Mitt Romney's not very flexible. Liz Cheney's not that flexible. That's actually part of their problems, is that they're not flexible. These are people that have kind of had the same views for a long time, and the party around them has changed. What worries me about this new group of people, whether it's McCarthy, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, whoever it may be, is that these people are so flexible that there's just no moral line that they really care about. There's no line in the sand. There's no red lines, as Republicans always like to talk about, that Obama violates. But they violated every red line in the book. And maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene now is kind of condemning her past things. But 
what's her next scoop? What's her next job? What's the next thing she's going to do? Because this interview with, uh, God, I'm forgetting his name already, this interview with Howard Kurtz on Fox News makes it sound like the internet sucked her in. Makes it sound like the internet forced her to believe that Obama was a secret Muslim. That, as Mona Sharon writes here, the Parkland shooting and the Sandy Hook murders and the Las Vegas massacre were all false flag operations. That Bill and Hillary Clinton had a hand in killing JFK Jr. That 9-11 was an inside job. That fires in California were caused by lasers. Blah, blah, blah. Hillary Clinton murdered a child to use their blood for a satanic ritual. What, adrenochrome or whatever it's called? I don't even remember, but trying to memory, excuse me, memory hold that. But anyways, she is an, she's an interesting person to me because crazy seems to be her brand, but she's willing to change what that means. And I don't even know how to really quantify anymore what that means because Lauren Boebert is just crazy, and I think her time in Congress is limited. I mean, she barely won in a district that's been solid red for a long time. Marjorie Taylor Greene is now, like, kind of becoming the person you have to kiss the ring of. Why do you think McCarthy took a selfie with her right after the bat? And the problem is, is that because no one's ever held her accountable, yes, she was taken off her committees, but yes, she'll be back. The problem is, she's not been held accountable, and now, like, she's been able to just change. And... Maybe that's good, and I think people deserve redemption. But I still think she's an atrocious person just because of the previous things she said. Like, I'm fine if Liz Cheney all of a sudden endorses Biden, even though she has some problematic views on gay marriage and abortion. People change their views. But Marjorie Taylor Greene has, like, othered the Jewish community and met with people that don't even think the Jewish community deserves to exist. Like, there's a big difference there. And... This opening of a rehabilitation clinic for people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, I know why McCarthy did it, because he understands her celebrity. But this guy, again, is a pussy on steroids. And excuse me for saying that, but that's the only way I can describe McCarthy. And it just gets me mad because this is the new Republican establishment. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene. It's Kevin McCarthy. And apparently, apparently, Jim Jordan is considered a trustable guy now. So what, is he going to be going to Marjorie Taylor Greene rehab next? Probably. And and this gets me to the last thing I want to just mention here. Well, actually, actually two things. Is Elise Stefanik. A lot of her friends have come out. There was a great New York Times article about her. I think it was back in December now. A lot of her friends have come out and asked, like, what the hell are you doing? And a lot of people say this is not who she is, blah, blah, blah. Marjorie Taylor Greene, this is who she is. She's a shapeshifter, shapeshifter who has a lot of strong views and changes them and searches. She's a seeker. I wonder who's worse of the two. Elise Stefanik, who just doesn't care? Or Marjorie Taylor Greene, who just knows that she wants something else? I don't know. But the last thing I will mention is this intra-MAGA rift is very interesting. Lauren Boebert versus Marjorie Taylor Greene. Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Matt Gates, Or we could say Lauren Gates or Matt Boebert versus Marjorie Taylor Greene or Marjorie McCarthy. I could make all these celebrity names here. But it seems like this intra-MAGA civil war is kind of two sides that have very different calculations, right? Marjorie Taylor Greene wants people to think, and I think think is the key word here, that she is a moderate 
and wants to be the establishment, or at least the MAGA establishment. She seems to understand that Trump is declining, and I've mentioned that before. Trump seems old, like, let's be honest, and I think it's good to move away from him. But Lauren Boebert, on the other hand, just wants to be a bomb thrower. She doesn't want to moderate. She wants to double down on the crazy, and there's people like that. Like, Lauren Boebert reminds me more of a Sarah Palin than Trump. Like, Lauren Boebert seems like just an OG Christian nationalist, Tea Party, anarchy-based libertarian with insane tendencies, and... It's interesting because, you know, a year ago, I would say Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, pretty much the same thing, or at least adjacent. And that is just not at all the case. And so I'm here for it because I think it's good for Democrats to have this. And I'm not a Democrat. I do not like a lot of the Democrats' policies, but I am cheering them on at this time. So Anyways, you can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, all that stuff. I got to go to a basketball game, so I'm going to get out of here, but I hope you guys have a great rest of your night. I'll be the same.